Hello, welcome to the Words and Pictures podcast. I'm DJ Bowman-Smith and this is Words and Pictures podcast number 56. This week my guest is Kate Wiseman. She writes for children and she's a mudlark. She'll be telling us exactly what that is. So stick around for the interview section. So at my desk this week, well at my desk this week I've been very busy writing for my uh, second in the series of my Midwich. So I'm well over halfway through and uh, I've put my editor in. I don't know whether I've mentioned this before. Now, as an independent author, I'm very much, oh, don't give me a deadline. It's finished when I'm ready. And, you know, you kind of don't really need or want that pressure. But however, I have to say, having drawn the line in the sand and booked the editor in and kind of deciding when I want to publish this next book, I'd like to get it out before Christmas. I am finding it rather motivating, which is good. It's kind of quite good to know that you've got to get this finished by this certain time. Now, my editor, Anna Shuffles, is a really nice woman. And I know that, you know, if some family crisis crops up and I'm not able to get it finished, um, you know, I'm sure we can negotiate a different time. But having said that, I quite like once I've kind of said something, I kind of the kind I'm the kind of person that kind of sticks to it. I'm old fashioned like that. So I'm working hard to get that finished for her in order to give it to her in October. And what else have I been doing? Well, this week I'm having a podcast week and I've often spoken about how I work in the podcast on in blocks. I don't I'm not faffing around doing this podcast every week. I kind of have a week where I do lots of interviews and try and get most of the editing and, um, you know, show notes written and get them um, published. So that's for me. The other thing in this week is that I have a podcast week. My husband's away, so I'm hoping that I'm going to get quite a lot done. I'm hoping to get you know, lots of interviews, which is obviously the really interesting bit, the interview, the easy bit, actually. And it's great to talk to everybody and make that real human connection across, you know, across the Zoom link. Uh, and and I'm making some real friends as I'm, as I'm doing this, which is, you know, was the whole point. So I'm, I'm kind of thinking about the podcast and, you know, I'm over a year now. The podcast is growing quite nicely. I'm kind of thinking that I need to kind of perhaps think about monetizing it a little bit I might be going into Patreon or something like that so I'm having a little think about you know maybe I might put ads on it or something like that so that's the other thing that I'm trying to have a little look at and have a think on uh, and what else have I been doing well uh, the uh, you probably heard me talk about uh, we went I went to the self-publishing show live Mark Dawson's uh, publishing formula thing which was in London and uh, when you buy the actual ticket you do get the digital ticket automatically now the digital tickets are out now and I don't think they're very expensive it's something like actually I'm not even going to say the price I'll probably be wrong but it's cheaper than you'd think so if you didn't get to go to the self-publishing show live I don't have any affiliate links or anything with this I'm just you know talking from my heart as usual um it was really brilliant now the the um the, the the digital version has come through because you get it automatically if you went to the show, which I think is such damn good value, to be honest. And so I have been watching a couple of the because I think sometimes when you're at these shows, you, you're you're looking at a lot of information. You're trying to take it all in. You're trying to network with other authors and there's a lot going on in the day. And I'm not the sort of person that can multitask. I mean, really, I really can't multitask. I can do one thing at a time but I can't have a conversation with you and cook the dinner that's kind of not how I work I'm either cooking the dinner or I'm talking to you I'm doing one or the other and it really is that bad 
And I don't know whether this is part of my dyslexia or whether it's just you know my own little quirk. But anyway, um, so I find it very, very difficult in order to take notes if I'm at a conference and and also concentrate on what's being said. It's kind of it was always a big problem for me at school. And it's something that I know that I'm almost incapable of doing in, in order to get the information. So this digital ticket for me is a really good thing because I don't take notes sometimes I might write the odd thing down or take a picture you know I might take but I don't try and sit there and, and note it all down uh, I mean I know for some people that's part of their learning process they can listen they can take notes and it all goes in it doesn't work for me so I'm very happy to have this digital ticket because I'm able to go over some of the things that I thought oh this is really good information I need to go into this in more depth you know, and, um, you know, follow up the leads, the links that the speaker talked about, or, you know, or really just sit and absorb it and hear it all again. So I've been going over a couple of the bits and pieces, not all of it, but a couple of the bits and pieces in the um, digital thing of the self-publishing show live conference that happened this year. So if you didn't go, I would I would highly recommend spending whatever it is. I can't think what the price is. I'll put it in the show notes anyway. Um, the link to it and you can go and have a look yourself because it really was a very informative conference as all Mark Dawson stuff is you know a lot of information um, very freely shared uh, that really helps you on your way as an independent author or in fact as a traditional author and actually to be honest I think uh, you know I talk to a lot of people you know in my writing life and a lot of the published people, the people that are uh, not all of them, but a lot of traditionally published authors seem to not know quite as much as we do. And so if you're a traditionally published author, I would highly recommend you get hold of that conference and just quietly have a look at it, because there's a lot to know that I, I suspect you don't know all of it. <laughs> That's being really rude. But anyway, I, I'm, it's said with love have a look you'd be surprised you know the kind of things that you would learn um, from something like that and I think there's a lot of bonus material in there as well which I haven't quite got round to because I was kind of keen to go back over things that I knew I wanted to just have another have another look at anyway come and meet Kate Wiseman she's a lovely woman and I think you'll be fascinated on her take of uh you know on her inspiration for her writing life so uh, on the Words and Pictures podcast, my guest this week is Kate Wiseman and she writes for children and she's also a mudlark, which I'm going to ask her exactly what that is. So hello, Kate, and how welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. It's lovely, lovely to have you. Now, I first sort of came across you, Kate, because I saw this picture of all these little bits and pieces that you'd found in the mud. And I'm, I'm guessing that was in the Thames, was it? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but you also have written for children, um, basing some of your stories on some of these finds. And you also teach people uh, creative writing using this amazing... I mean, I just mm. looked at those bits and pieces and I thought, oh, yes, I could I could think of a story for any of those kinds of things. So it's it's incredibly um, evocative. And uh, I mean, even just the process of doing it, I can imagine would be just so interesting, never mind whether you found something or not. So I mean, I don't even know where to start, Kate, to be honest. <laughs> um, what would you like to talk about first, the, the books or the mudlark or both? Or where, where does it begin for you? Um, let's talk about mudlarking, shall we? I am a mudlarking bore. 
I warn you. I want to hear it all. I'm ready. A a cutthroat motion (laughs) or something like that, and I'll shut up. Um, So I'll tell you what a mudlark is, shall I? Absolutely, yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, In Victorian England, a mudlark was a desperate person, Um, normally a child, sometimes an old person with no other means of support, um, trying to trying to support themselves and the way they did that would be to go down to the Thames when the tide was out and see what they could find to sell on. Um, today there are still mudlarks, you, le- you need a permit by the way, I must say that or else I'll be told off, uh, but mudlarks today are looking for treasure um, and we'll talk about what constitutes treasure in a minute because it's not all you know rings and crowns and never find anything like that. Um, although some people do, but uh, a Victorian mudlark was it was a survival tactic. So they were looking for uh, the most mundane things. Bearing in mind at this time the river would be absolutely covered, absolutely full of boats, and they would um, drop bits of coal. They would be mending their sails and chuck bits of rope overboard, and the mudlarks would put these up, pick these up. Even things like um, animal fat. So, you know, cook on a, a boat, he's chopping up a whatever, a, a dead animal to eat, chucks the, the bits overboard that aren't necessary for what he's making. And a mudlark would pick those up and probably make them or sell them on to be made into tallow candles, which were like the poor person's candles because they smelt quite bad. Nasty. Yes. Tallow is horrible. Yeah. 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 Yeah, brilliant. How how fascinating that, that it's, uh, you know, I, I think I have a, a sort of quite a connection to London. My father was a Londoner and he used to talk mm-hmm. about um, uh, going under the bridges, um, arm over arm, just swinging, swinging from one side to the other when he was a really? boy. And oh. I've got pictures of him, you know, sort of in bare feet in the back streets of London and how he used to swim in the Thames and stuff like this and uh, and find things and those those kinds of things. Not, not that they were that poor, that they were looking for treasure, but they were just having a look and poking about you know as little boys will you know um yeah, yeah fascinating fascinating stuff and it's it's incredible that um you know the poverty and I know we've still got poverty now but but those children they never really had any help or you know none at all yeah no. yeah um well the best they could hope for really if they were orphaned or I don't know parents couldn't work would be to be put in the workhouse which kind of punished you for being poor yeah um it it worked on the premise that you were poor because you'd chosen to be poor because you were lazy and it wanted to make your life hard so you wouldn't want to stay there yeah um and it, you know they separated families they fed them on the most dreadful things they were given the most horrible back-breaking mind-numbing work to do mm. and many didn't come out so um certainly in my mudlark mysteries um joe and edie the protagonists decide to mudlark when their father dies because they they the alternative is the workhouse you know, there was no one. Poor people were were, were expendable and nuisance. Plenty of them. them. Yeah. yeah, yeah, lots of them. Yeah. Um, no support, no help with housing. Uh, you're ill. You can't afford a doctor. Tough. Yeah, yeah, terrible, no. terrible times. I mean, at least we have some, you know, welfare state now. Absolutely. Uh, so, yeah. so your protagonist uh, in your story. So that's set. Your mudlarkers then are set in 
you know, in the old, the, the original mudlarkers, if you like, not, not, it's not yeah. sort of like, uh, what's that program when they go metal detecting and they, they find treasure, you know, and it's about the modern, oh, the modern day. The detectorists. The yes. It's a bit I like that, that, isn't it? Yeah. I love oh, that. Yeah. 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 It's so gentle. Yeah. Yeah. Really nice, really nice thing. So, so Kate, have you ever found, what's the best thing that you've found or the most interesting thing that you've ever found? Um, I've never found anything that has a great value. Let me say that first of all. But to me, I, I love social history. So um, I've found things like um, a cluster of mosaic tiles that turned out to be Roman um, mm. from a glass house in Shadwell, apparently. Oh, oh amazing. Um, and they're still in the, well, they call it Opus Signinum Mortar. And it's full of bits they sort of chucked in. They ground up old pots and chucked things like that into the mortar. Um, so that I think is fascinating. I've got some lovely old river offerings. Um, I've my this ring I wear is oh. uh, the mudlark fine. Silver, not gold. Coins, so much. Um, doll limbs, doll heads, bullets from two world wars. I I was out last week. And I was absolutely delighted to find a big bit of shrapnel from an anti-aircraft shell. It's, yeah. it's history. You know, I'm touching. That went up. That was trying to stop someone bombing London yeah. in 1940. What was it? 1941? 1940. I think 1941. Yeah. And I've set up. And I'm the first person to touch that. And the first person to touch my Roman tiles for two 2,000 years. Yeah. And it's amazing that it just suddenly surfaces and somebody finds it. Yeah, extraordinary. Well, the good thing about the Thames is that it's tidal, of course. Yeah. And it's been used as a rubbish dump for 2,000 years. Yeah. Um. So tide comes in, brings stuff in, deposits it, tide comes out, takes it away, comes in again and, and brings more stuff. Yeah. So, it's you know, it, it's a, a never-ending opportunity. Yeah. Really. And how do you go about the mudlarking? Do you... Do you um, are some tides better than others to get on do you do you, do you wear yeah. do you get get your wellies on i'm, I'm imagining you've got waders oh God, on yeah. and things i mean i'm assuming it's and, and do you do dig down or are things do things come up on the surface um as a, a standard i have a standard mudlarking permit so i'm only allowed to sort of scrape down a few centimeters i think it's about seven mm. but i tend to stick on the surface anyway but there are mudlarks who have a sort of a, a an elite license and they can go down further. But you don't need to, really, because it just, you know, the tide washes away what's on the surface and, and brings up what isn't there. Yeah. So, yeah, you need wellies. You need, I need to tie my hair back. Yeah, oh, like that? That? I've always got hair. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> with, a, with a hair full of mud. Anyway, yeah. um, old clothes, something to put your fines in. Some people wear rubber gloves, but I don't because I like to... I didn't. I, I feel it kind of affects my ability to 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 work out what's there. Oh so really? I, I just, yeah. Oh no. I, I I've always got handed. great long painted nails. I'm holding them up. Oh, oh right, yeah, yeah. Yes, nice. I've I've always got great long. And I can't bear anything on my hands. I I I don't even like. I don't like to cook. Put my my hands in food. I, I was mm -hmm. mixed to the last minute before I have to roll out pastry or anything oh, like that. I don't don't like to touch anything. It's funny, isn't it? I think it's because I've just got very long nails. I've always had long nails. So no, if I was mudlarking, I would be gauntleted up, <laughs> hair tied back. <laughs> yeah. and absolutely, yes. No, I... Waders, 
and yeah. the, the whole lot. And then, yeah, at a low tide, you, you can look on the, um, well, there are various places you can look, but I look on the Port of London Authority website to check. They give you uh, three months of tides in advance. Yeah. The lower the tide, the better, because more is exposed. Yeah. Um, and there are certain places on the Thames that are only exposed at a very low tide. So you need to wait for one of those if you want to go to one of those places. And what about other places? Because I uh, we holidayed um, in Wales a couple of uh, last year. And after the drought, mm. a lot of the reservoirs had gone completely dry and, and mm-hmm. people were mudlarking in there. Or I don't know whether they call it mudlarking or reservoir larking, but people were going through the silt on the bottom to sort of and they were coming up apparently with fines. It was sort of in the local paper. Do, 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 yeah. do, do you ever do it anywhere else or? You're tempted now, aren't you? <laughs> I am. Where's the nearest reservoir? Yeah. Let, let me out there. I, t- I do it everywhere, to be honest. Um, even, I don't know, walking along the street, I'm always looking on the ground. It's, it's kind of a, a mudlark thing to see what I can find. Yeah. Um, here's a little story. Um, I, I spend a lot of time in Turkey, where I've got a friend with a house. And I was there last year. And I dropped a charm, a, a charm fell off my charm bracelet. And it was a pair of silver handcuffs, which represent, every time I get a book published, I buy a charm. That oh, represents, yes. And I've seen that on your book yeah. cover and you've got the little handcuffs because I saw, I saw that in the, yes, I know exactly yeah. what you mean. Yes, I'm with uh, you. Yes. yes. Yeah. So I felt I lost them. Um, and this year I was back in Turkey, walking along the street eyes on the ground as ever and I found them again oh, and they've been run over by about a million cars and they're very pitted but I, I found them how funny that um, nobody else has picked them up that's yeah that's extraordinary that's, isn't it maybe a serendipity I think yeah yeah how funny oh well I like that that you put a charm on your bracelet for each thing that you get published I think that's quite nice I tend to buy myself a, a bouquet of flowers if I have something published in a magazine because I write a few magazine articles and when, when it goes to print and I can open my I don't know I don't always buy the magazine but sometimes I look in the newsagent and I go oh yeah there I am with the thing and then I was going by myself a bouquet because <laughs> I think it's just quite, I quite good fun to think yeah that's, that's nice that's... I, I deserve I deserve, flowers, I deserve that yes exactly yeah even if it's just a little couple of things yeah so happy days yeah but great fun well so what inspired you what did the mud lichen come first or the writing come first because by the look of your I was kind of, kind of looking at your stable of books and it looks like you were writing and now you're writing about mud larking because you, right. you write for children don't you Mostly. Yes, um, I, I I am branching out and I've got a novel for adults coming out either next year or the year after. Um, I'm, I'm, depending on when the publishers decide to, to release it. Um, again, that's historical and it's set in the First World War. And it's about a girl, a, a young woman who disguises herself as her brother and goes to fight in the trenches. Mm. Um, because I wanted to write about how a woman could do that and women did do that women survived that and uh, the question I'm always asked is well how did they go to the loo they managed I don't know how they you know my my protagonist Nina just goes when it's quiet yeah um but there were there were lots of recorded incidents of women eventually being found out and um sent home and there's even one I know this is slightly off topic of mudlocks but this you'll find this interesting I think there was a woman called Flora Sands possibly Sandes I don't know how you pronounce her name and she was the daughter of a Yorkshire vicar and she joined the nursing corps 
and got sent to Serbia because there was a front there and she was nursing in Serbia and she got caught up in the battle and she joined in and she was allowed to stay in the Serbian army as a woman and she was promoted. I can't remember if she was a sergeant major or definitely a sergeant. And she is now, this woman is on stamps in Serbia oh, because yeah. they remember her and they revere her. You know, so people did this, women did this. Mm, yeah, interesting. I think a lot of women's history has just been uh, put to one side or was never recorded or, you know, so it's, yes. I think it's always good to give a, give a voice. And of course, a lot of the history has been written by men, so we don't get the voice anyway, uh, you know. Yeah. yeah. I, was a, I was very, very much a working class girl and I wasn't encouraged to go to university. Um, and I got there when I was 38 off my own bat. Mm. Um, ah, now we share this in common because I did a degree wow. in my late 30s and just about got qualified when I was in my 40s. And I, I did the Open University because um, I, I my... yeah, Sorry, I, no. I came I came out of um, school because I'm, I'm dyslexic. So, you know, they either think you're stupid, lazy or probably both. Uh, and yeah. really, as you get, as you know, obviously now people are much more clued up into this. And of course, you've got computers to help. So once the computers came in, I went and took a degree with the Open University and then I went into teaching. Um, so, yes, it was quite interesting to be like the oldest person in the class quite often <laughs> asking all the I questions because you don't you. care at that point. Yeah, yeah. yeah you, you don't try to be cool. Yeah. And and above everything else, you're there because you really want to be there, exactly. not because it's the next step, you know, and you don't know what else to do or because yeah. you're, you're there because you're desperate to be there. Yeah. Um, and I loved, I had a great time. I got a first. Good. And then I, I did a master's with the Open University. Yep. And all this was sort of gradually giving me confidence because I'd lost, I don't suppose I ever had a lot. I'm getting more confident now, but I, I never believed in myself. I never thought I could do anything. So then I did that. And then I thought, well, what I really want to do is write because when I was at school, it was what I was best at. Mm. Um, and my son was going off to university and I was sort of drooping around the house, you know, trailing a hanky and wondering what to do with myself. Mm. that's what I'm gonna I'm gonna do it I'm gonna write and I was very lucky and um my story which was the first in my gangster school series which are sort of comic adventures for middle grade got shortlisted for a national award and then I got an agent and you know and I was very very lucky um so yeah the writing came first the mudlarking and I know I talk a lot about this, so wave at me or something. No, no, go on, go on, tell us, tell us how, it, how it went. <laughs> um, I've always loved treasure hunting uh, mm. of all kinds. And it's kind of an extension of that. And I was talking to a friend of mine and she said, well, there's this this chap in London who'll take, take us out. You know, let's, let's go and have a go. And so we contacted him and off we went. And it was just the most exciting day I think I've ever had. And I must have asked him about a billion questions, you know, every bit of metal and every lump of anything. What's this? What's this? And he was very, very patient. You know, it's our first time out and we found bullets and uh, coins. And I can't even remember what we found. Oh, some buttons, pins, which were handmade. Can you imagine being a pin? Yes, yes. Because they're quite often made the poor make pins. We we have yes. a place near us where where which was an old workhouse, and uh, they used to make um, the the people that were in the workhouse make chains. 
you know, oh, right. like, like watch yeah. chains to hang your watch on and Why? things like that. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, so fascinating. Yes, um, amazing. So then, so you did that and then you began to begin, did you begin to develop the story of the mud larkers then? Um, or did you find I, out I, more about the whole thing, I should think? I needed to find out more. I got my license. I was immediately bitten by the, the larking bug and I got my permit and started doing it and just got more and more fascinated by the potential to find treasure and, and by the, the lives of these people who who struggled so much in, in, in the most you know revolting conditions. And bearing in mind that the Thames at that time was pretty well a sewer. Yeah. Um, some people would say it still is. Yeah, day and night, if the low tide was at 2 a.m. and it was minus 10, they were out there barefoot probably in the water with all this unmentionable stuff bobbing around, um, trying to earn enough money to, to survive. Mm. Um, there's a, there was a really interesting book written in the 1850s called London Labour and the London Poem. I'm looking at my copy of it. I can see it over there. And it's by Henry Mayhew. And he was a social commentator and he wanted to draw attention to the, the working conditions for poor people in London at, the, at that time. And he went around recording interviews, not record, you know, by hand, uh, writing them down with people doing various jobs. And the mudlarks were one of some of the people he talked to. Hmm. Um, and it was such an eye opener when he, he's talking to sort of eight year old boys and they're saying things like, well, if, if the police found them, they chucked them in the river. Hmm. No help, no interest, no idea of of looking after them. Mm. You're a pest. Chuck them in the river. Mm. Amazing. Yeah, it's it's a different world. And so you you go around schools now doing uh, talking about yeah. this and and that's yeah. that's the kind of thing. And and how was your? Because I'm an old teacher. So how was your? How was your first school visit? Did you manage? Did they eat you, or was it a bit scary, or were you just fine? terrified? Terrified. Yeah, because oh, it's a real act to get in front of kids. This is dead easy. Get get in front. Get in front of a load of children is a whole different world. Yeah, yeah. But I bet they were fascinated. Yeah, brilliant. They are absolutely yeah. fascinated. Yeah, they're just sponges. So hands on. Yeah. I, I take. I take fines along mm -hmm. and say, well, you know, what, what's this story? And the boys, especially, I find, because, you know, traditionally boys aren't very keen at creative writing, things like that. Exactly. But <laughs> knife handles and bullets and yeah. some very gruesome stories they come up with, some of which I put on my website. Um, but they're sort of killing their brothers or, I don't know, all the, they're thinking, oh, I wonder what your home life's like. Yeah. Um, but they, they, really connect with it because I think it is so hands-on you know picking something up and yes thinking, yeah what where's this been how did it get there but I think you're making not just the history real but you're making the writing real for the children and I think that's what you need to do when you're trying to get and draw them in to make them tap into their own creativity because they're all capable of it you've just got yeah. to make them believe it and get them interested enough to believe it for yeah. themselves and want to do it yeah instead yeah. of well teacher says i've got to do this wow yeah. you know i really know how this knife handle got there and i really want to tell the story with yeah. all the blood yeah. and guts sometimes not always but occasionally blood and guts yeah yeah, well, I think it's fascinating. I mean, even if you just find a button or something that's quite mundane. In fact, I think sometimes the mundane items of our everyday lives are really tell our story somehow. You kind of, Absolutely. you know, you you wonder what that button was. What you know, was it on a favourite 
coat or something or you know was it something treasured or something disliked or something handed down and you know you can you can just weave a whole thing about the whole process of it you know even the pin who made it you know where did it come from what did it hold what was it pinning yeah Yeah, absolutely of course um Tudor people, and I don't know when this stopped, but uh, post-Tudor as well, used to pin their clothes together. So mm. they'd have their sleeves separately, put those on, pin them on, um, get their bodice, pin that onto an underskirt. Mm. You know, and that was how they kept their clothes together. Yeah. So surprising that the the Thames is f- full of these rather lovely pins with sort of slightly wobbly heads. Yeah, extraordinary. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I love it. Yeah, fascinating uh, stuff. So, um, because it's the words and pictures, Kate, I always ask everybody about their book covers. How do you, how do you get your book covers made? Or I liked your book cover with the with the uh, handcuffs in that we talked about earlier. That looked that looked pretty oh, good. They yeah. all look nice. So you traditionally published, Kate. I am. Yeah. yeah. So so you so you, so they come up with the book covers for you. you don't have to yeah. worry too much about it. I was first published in Germany. And they just sent me, so they translated the Gangster School series, and they sent me a picture and said, hope you like this. And it had the handcuffs and stuff like that. And I thought, yeah, that's great. I really like that. Um, and when I began being published in the UK, my publisher is, um, it's, a, it's an independent, and it's very much more a sort of, well, what do you fancy? What do you think of this um, yeah. collaboration? So they get... Um, most of my British covers are done by an artist called um, Isla Isla Donahue, um, and she's wonderful. And she reads my books and comes up with these amazing covers. Mm. Um, she was really taken with the characters in the Mudlark Mysteries and spent a long time developing the characters that are on the front of that book. Mm. Um, Union Jack, who looks like a wide boy, because that's what he is with a Union Jack in his hat um ed sort of trying to make the most of uh, being absolutely poor but still liking to sort of try and pretend you know trying to look pretty and things like that and joe who's perpetually worried and um so she and oh and hempson of course bad guy hempson who looks Mm. like he should be tying women to railway tracks and twirling his mustache perfect Um, why were you first published in germany then um well, I I got a wonderful agent, and she took the manuscript to the Frankfurt Book Fair, and a, a, a publisher called Piper Piper Verlag bought bought three of them. Yeah, brilliant. Um, yeah. A bit disconcerting because I'd only written one, but I did. <laughs> yeah, there's always that, isn't there? You go, yeah, I'll be fine. Thinking, oh my lord, <laughs> yeah, I can do that. Yeah, exactly. Uh, well, that's that's fascinating. Yeah, it's, to be first published when that's not. Uh, do you, you don't speak German then? No, they um they translate. They translate it um, through. Yeah, because they say it's the second biggest sort of literary market, don't they? Um, Germany. You know, when, when oh, they really? say when they say translate your work, they always go Germany first, and then you know, oh, and then you yeah. then you try the others. So I've heard whether that's absolute gospel truth, but that's what they say in the in the indie world anyway. <laughs> okay, well, that's interesting. Yeah, they're they're quite erudite. Obviously, read a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Possibly, yeah. yeah. Good, good stuff. Um, all right. Let's have a little look at my little notes here. Um, so uh, another question that I quite often ask people, I don't ask it every time, but I always, I, I think, I think, I kind of feel that it's a good question for you. What's on your desk, Kate? Have you got something unusual on your desk that you keep to keep you inspired? 
Or is your room like mine? You can't really see much of my room's full of stuff. It's all on the other side, though. Weird things. I've got skulls and old toys and Have an you? old telephone oh, and all sorts of things. Maybe maybe one day I'll turn it around, show the the, the, uh-huh. the social media, the, the other bit that, that we don't see. Yeah. Yeah. So, that yeah, I like fun. lots of weird stuff. Yeah. I do. Yeah. I, just mudlock stuff everywhere, actually. I've got mudlock stuff on the... I don't actually write on a desk anymore. I used to, but I've got mudlock stuff on the mantelpiece. Um, I've got uh, a little printer's tray full of mudlock stuff over there. I've got a, a bowl full of mudlock stuff um, on my, what do you call it? It's not quite a, uh, I don't know, sideboard. Let's call it a sideboard. Mm. Um, every room you go in in my house is, is full of bits and pieces yeah. yeah yeah well I think I think that's fun well I'm not allowed it anywhere else I have to keep it all in here <laughs> oh. all, all my odds and ends yeah exactly yeah I have to I have to be I have to be, have to be sensible everywhere else but in here I've got masks and things I've traveled a lot I've got odds and ends bits from China and Russia and uh, I, sure. as I look I can see all sorts of spots but and books of course everywhere anyway happy days um yes it's interesting to have some bits and pieces um around you as you as you work uh do you um do you think there might be a non-fiction book in you about mudlarking? Do you think that might be a thing? Because I kind of feel like you should. <laughs> so do I. I think I should just write everything about mudlarking. Um, there are several. That's the only thing. There's very little fiction about mudlarking. Oh, um, yeah. Which is sort of why I wanted to go down that route. But there, there are two or three mudlarks who, who publish non-fiction things. So... I have I have had an idea. Two or three does not, to my mind, sound like a saturated. Well, oh, no, it's not saturated. Yeah, I've probably got about a dozen books on mudlarking, looking around. Um, but what I would like to write um, that isn't fiction would be a kind of um, picking up little personal things. Um, mudlarking treasures and and writing about them for kids for instance here's a for instance at Wapping I found a very battered very old cowrie shell now they are not um, local they're not native to the UK Wapping is a huge area of of warehouses and uh, you know 200 years ago masses of ships you know queuing up sometimes for months to, to get their stuff unloaded and they used to bring in cowrie shells in sacks and take them to uh, West Africa and buy slaves with them. So that little shell has fallen out of a sack destined to buy human beings. Mm. And it's just little things like that that tell a story. Mm. And I'd like to write, you know, pick them out. Um, I've got a friend who found um, a ball and chain. So it's yeah. the stories like that, you know, the human stories um, over there. I've got a, a skirt weight, for instance, from the days when ladies had to make sure that they weren't exposing their bodies. So they had to weigh their skirts down to make sure they weren't, you know, inflaming anyone. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> it sounds weird, doesn't it? Yeah. But I would really like to pull all those things together. I know things like lead toys and, and the, the danger that people didn't know about. Mm. Um and oh, witch bottles. Witch bottles are, is a big thing in um, the first mudlark mystery, and oh, really? how yeah, they use mud, yeah, mudlark uh, witch bottles, yeah, things right. like that. I yeah. would love 
but you're right. uh, yeah, I think the 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 witch bottle is is an interesting thing. I write about witches in in my work in progress, Ooh. which is just a fiction thing. Um, but yes, witch bottles very very. I have a witch ball here in my window, so you can see. Oh, can you see that? Now? Oh yes, that's a big silver one. Um, yes, interesting stuff. Yes, and and whereas things were commonplace, like witch balls in windows to ward off eatable spirits and witch bottles and things like that to do whatever they were, were it depended what was in them what what they were you know mm. how, the what they were hoped to get from those things were, were kind of it was a commonplace kind of superstition or belief whereas it's mm. quite unusual now and people don't know what those things are anymore and it's fascinating isn't it it's so much part of our history yeah and and says so much about i don't know that life it's that 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 it seemed possible that life could be affected by things like that. Um, I, I find it fascinating. I have a friend who has um, a 17th century house and he's having some work done on it, some repairs or renovations, I don't know. And he found a, a witch bottle under the fireplace oh. with a stone in um, there to, you know, avert evil. Yeah. And did it have anything in it still, a little bit of herb or... Anything that he could see, or was that gone? No, I can't remember. That's a long time ago. Yeah. I think I found I found a tiny bottle when we because our house is nearly hundred years old, and and I found we found a tiny little bottle underneath the floorboards, and and it was a uh, uh, stoppered with a, like a piece of um, cotton, and then on this it was obviously from the doctors or the for the pharmacists mm. or on it it was it was for um it was a laxative so. Whoever was laying the floorboards had a had a bit of a, yeah had a bit of was a bit constipated and it had and he was called Eddie or something Mister Eddie or something it says take through a thing to relieve the constipation or something it says in very loopy handwriting this tiny little bottle and it's still got the pills in it I put it safely away you know because I had small children at the time but uh, yeah it, and and you just look at little things like that and you think well that's not that old but so different our you know even just our own prescriptions mm -hmm. medical stuff is just completely different isn't it yeah, yeah. very com yeah completely different i love the old poison bottles um which were or poisons that contain potentially i mean bottles that contain potentially poisonous substances and they used to make them ridged so yes. that if you put it up in the night yes. um you know, and you didn't have electricity and your candle gone out or something, you could feel the ridges and think, oh, I mustn't take that. That's that's harmful. Mm. Sort of, you know, clever things like that that we've, well, we don't need anymore. Yeah, but, but also, also you don't, you, you forget that people couldn't just switch a light on like we can now. So feeling around yeah. in the dark was probably a thing by the time you found a candle and done whatever you yeah. needed to do whereas you know and and the place was everywhere was darker of course at night tell us tell us about your mudlark mysteries okay so i have there are as well as joe and edie there are three other main characters and they get together in the first book and form this sort of very tight-knit group um all to some extent outsiders for various reasons and my idea is, um, I have a contract for three, but I think it's going to be extended to five, that each story features a different artefact from a different part of London mm -hmm. and is told by one of these five people. Mm. Um, so Joe's the first one. Um, I finished the second one. That's Union Jack. And I'm writing a third one, and that's from Ottilie's point of view, the girl who they 
they rescued from a well, basically an opium den. Mm, amazing. So, yeah, um, I I hope I get to write all of them because they're all, they're all such characters, and I, I just I really want to. I want to. Yeah, and I think there's endless. Uh, you know, I think children like to read in series. I think if you can write a few books in a series so they can carry on to the next one, see what else happens is always a good thing, you know. Kate, where can people find you online? Um, well, I have a website, which is katewiseman.co.uk. Kitty, it's been brilliant talking to you. Thank you for coming on the Words and Pictures podcast. It's been lovely. I wish we had more time. So that was Kate Wiseman and very interesting to hear how people, you know, where they get their inspiration from. And I can see how inspiring that whole mudlarking thing can be. And just imagine those children in school, you know, having a visit from her and how great that would be for them. And it's always good, of course, to get anybody who's been in the teaching profession like myself knows how hard it is sometimes to get little boys to, boys to engage in the writing task. So well done, Kate. OK, well, next week, my guest is... DJ Martin. Now, DJ Martin and myself, apart from sharing um, the first two initials of our name and kind of using it as our first name, um, we both write paranormal women's fiction. So we had a lot to talk about, about, you know, the whole paranormal women's fiction thing um, featuring older women in our writing and, of course, witchcraft. So um, come and join me next time for episode 57 to meet DJ Martin. In the meantime, I'm DJ Bowman-Smith. You can find me at www.djbowmansmith.com. And if you go there, if your show notes don't um, show up on wherever you've picked up the podcast, you can find all the show notes and anything that we may have mentioned um, there on my website. Until next time, bye-bye.